Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. And this week on the panel, we have Adi Iyengar. Hello. And me, Sasha Wolf. It's again a small round. It kind of feels cozy now. And Adi and me have been thinking, what we do we talk about today? And we want to talk about seniority. Seniority in the context of software development. So you could also, if you want to have a clickbait title for the podcast, you might name it, how do you, how do you grab a tasty senior title? So yes, it was an idea of you, Adi. So why don't you take the helm and tell us what made you think of this topic? Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, lately, a lot of the people I mentor have been asking this question to me. And I know Chuck told us a while ago that a good amount of our listeners are early to mid-engineers. So I thought this would be a good topic. But yeah, I mean, one thing I wanted to cover is like, you know, there's like no single path to that seniority, right? And we can try to like talk about things that might maximize the likelihood for you to get there. But luck, like, Sasha and I were talking about it before the recording, that luck is a big, it's probably the biggest factor. And it really, besides that, what works for you, you know, you making an individual path also is a big thing. Like, for example, we're talking about side projects, right? And like, I, there's pretty much never a point in my life where I don't have an active side project going on, like ever since I started coding in 2011 even when I was a student, whereas Sasha just said he almost never had a side project that is outside his class. I don't do side projects. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do side projects. Right. <laughs> and, and, said it. Yeah, so, so each engineer can like take different paths, uh, you know, and still, you know, be a very good engineer and be a senior, uh, quote-unquote senior engineer. So, uh, yeah, I do want to preface this whole episode by saying that. Hey, but, you know, Adi, have you actually seen my code yet? Maybe, maybe it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing, you know, like, uh, it's, do you define a senior engineer as someone who writes good code or define senior engineer as like this like kind of a meta term of, you know, someone who knows what they're talking about, right? From an architectural perspective, some, someone who has experience, someone who through experience has developed the sixth sense of what's the right thing to do, right? So code is important as well, but I think I generally use the latter things that I described to define as your engineer. So yeah, even if I, even though I'm not senior code, Sasha, I've talked to you enough and I know you're a senior engineer. <laughs> I'm also going to, like, to answer your question, like, how do you define a senior engineer? I'm, I'm going to give a very senior answer and then say, it depends. Uh, <laughs> because this is actually a question we've been tackling at the current job also, like, because at the status quo, and we have senior engineers, we have mid-level engineers, we have early career engineers. I actually prefer the term developers because I think there's a very good article series from Hillel Wayne where he goes into, is software 
development, actually engineering category. And spoiler, the answer is sometimes it is, most of the time it's not. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm digressing. So we had basically the same topic about, okay, we have, we have some seniors, we have some mid-levels, we have some early career people. What criteria are we actually applying to that? Because until that point, uh, it was pretty much nearly really, yeah, you're senior and you're not, but why, right? Um, and we now have like a like some levels and expectations attached to that. And what we ended up with is not something where you say this is like I don't know like an, like a list of things you need to check all the boxes and then your senior boom. But it's more of an aspirational topic. So like a very good senior would potentially check all of these boxes. But n- realistically speaking, most people probably won't. Um, then you can actually t- look at that and say, okay, hey. This is like some skills. Maybe as a mid-level engineer, you already check that senior box, but there's also some room for growth on that. On that, like because there are some topics where you're more in the early career area, and then you can actually talk about okay, what are some growth areas? What are some topics you might want to look into? And yeah, code and code quality is part of that, but it's not everything and all. And knowing your tools is part of that, but it's not everything and all. So if you have had somebody and you and they have no freaking clue how to write any kind of code yet and probably no, no senior developer. But if they're decent at writing code, but have like some very good understanding about like CI, CD pipelines, but like how to set that up properly and maintainable, how to potentially b- design a system in a, in a bigger sense to, to be like, have like fail safes, consider edge cases, all those kind of topics, then all of those contribute towards getting, having a senior uh, mindset. And then it's, I mean, it might be okay that maybe the code you write is like just just average, you know, just like average everyday code, not great, not terrible, and still you could very much call yourself a senior developer. So I would actually, because I mean, as you just said, Adi, the path to seniority can be very different for different people. How was your path to seniority? That's a great question. Yeah, I think I got super lucky, as I said, like is a huge contributing factor. My first job. Um, it's actually a funny story. I had offers from uh, multiple companies. After a couple months of not having any offer, I got like an interviewing a ton. I got suddenly I got a bunch of offers at the same time, and I picked a small company with the salary almost half of the highest salary I was offered. The companies that I got offers from IBM was one of them, which offered the highest salary. And there's this company in the middle of Boston called Antisam, where <laughs> a startupy they were thinking of doing Elixir. At that time, it was like 2015. Elixir was like just 1.0. And Phoenix wasn't (laughs) 1.0. So I was pretty excited about that. And I got paired with the CTO of the company. And I chose to go there because I had a positive, you know, instinctive feeling that if I go here, I will really enjoy. And I was not probably financially, I guess, uh, mature enough at that point to think that, you know, double the salary could really make a huge difference. So I was like, ah, I, I, this sounds great. I'm going to go work at this company. And um, who needs money? <laughs> yeah. Well, what what happened is like my first project because I was paired with CTO, we were a two people team. My first project was a CTO level project was architecting and building a new software which talks to like a legacy Rails app and writing it in Elixir when Phoenix was just 1.0, right? And I was like, that experience just changed my mind, right? Like, instead of using packages that people have written, in the Elixir community at that time, it was so new, I, we were building packages. We built dot indication package. We didn't use device in Rails, we built device, right? And like, that experience, two hours of working in a project like that is equivalent to like a day, eight hours of working in a project that's not like that. So again, super, got super lucky, and that fueled the passion I already had of coding. And 
allowed me to do side projects and like write open source libraries and kind of like try to push my side projects beyond my work projects. I can bring something into our work projects to impress our CTO, who is like, you know, this like a uh, godlike figure, like in my eyes, like he was, he was he's still, <laughs> still the best engineer I've worked with. Uh, we actually had him on this podcast, Eric, he built, Eric Stillman was the name, he, he built it, he started his own company a few months ago, we had him a couple months ago, but anyway, uh, yeah, like having that beginning to my career, uh, I was extremely lucky. And, you know, because of that Elixir experience and initial, you know, learning, the salary also is, I'm probably a m- much higher than what I would have been if I had stayed in IBM, right? So that worked out, you know, uh, it worked out because I did not have financial maturity to make, quote unquote, the right financial decision at that time and went with my gut and got paired luckily with the C- CTO and kind of had a company that believed in me, right? It's actually quite funny because that company, I started my own company in 2018 as well. And this, the company I joined, they mentored me to start my own company, you know? Again, it's just a bunch of, series of you know lucky breaks one after other which again is the overarching kind of theme of career career development in my eyes is luck but Sasha what was your path (laughs) to seniority? I would expect that my path is a bit more traditional in that sense like um, basically I came out of my uh, when I had my degree right I started at a smallish consultancy slash agency which had a very big working contract with Volkswagen. So I actually worked at the the software development part of Volkswagen. We didn't write any code for cars. We actually wrote software, which was used by different parts of Volkswagen to give uh, build to basically set builds between each other. So like <laughs> do building internal top Volkswagen building software. Yeah, that exists. Um, that was all in Java. And the thing is, like, I, I worked there for roughly two years, and that was at least it was a very interesting experience in the context of learning the ropes of like how, what agile development actually means. Because I have to say, like, while there was a lot of technical depth at that place, um, they actually did Scrum real well. Like, that was the really working system they had. They had there in, in a particular um, part of Volkswagen. So, um, still think to that day that that probably is the best implementation of Scrum I've seen yet. Um, so that was like a, an interesting experience to see like how, how you can potentially deal with like changing requirements, things, uh, doing estimations in a big group of developers, all the kind of things. Uh, but I left there after two years because it was in Volkswagen and Wolfsburg and I don't come from that area. So I wanted to go back to where I originally came from, back to family, back to friends. And then I started a very small company because I also like Volkswagen, super big company. But yeah, I wasn't directly working for uh, an employee of Volkswagen, but I was still like a super big environment right corporate environment and so i went to a very small company where i did all kinds of things like i mostly did ios development um but i also did some web development i did some backend development in php i at some point did some embedded development in c so i dabbled with all kinds of things i then after two years again left there because it was actually too small for me it was too stressful like just being having to have to handle all of that but it was also a very valuable experience in the context of having to see the full pro- project product life project life cycle right like because we didn't have any product project managers that didn't exist there was like a company of like six people so like we had to do all of that ourselves sit in the rooms with customers ourselves like figure their things out so that gave me a very valuable perspective on what it actually means at the end of the day to take customer requirements take something a customized an idea about and Make, make create working software out of that. Then I ended up at a mid-level company because I figured, hey, Volkswagen too big. 
right? Six people too small. Why not try mid-level? <laughs> it was like, I don't know, like 80-ish people at, at that point, I think, where I originally encountered Elixir and that was just classic agency work. So, um, and that was, yeah, but was also an interesting and valuable experience in the context of, okay, I, because I said, okay, I want to do more backend work. That was the part of the things I did before, which, which I enjoyed most. And in that project, I also at some point took over some technical, uh, not lead ownership. I didn't have any, like, I didn't lead anybody, but I was basically the technical link to the customer. So like we had to always uh, like a twofold setup with like a project manager and somebody who had like this technical architecture perspective. So that was something where, where I really started to to dig into what it actually means to figure out, okay, people say they need X, but actually they need Y, right? Because they you have to drill down to what it actually, what, what they actually mean when they say they need X and, and those kind of topics. And that at that point, I was still like, of course, at, at Volkswagen, I was early career slash junior. Then at the middle of the company, I was just a developer, right? Like everybody just was just a developer there. And then I was like hired as a mid-level backend engineer and a developer at that company. And then my next company, because I figured, okay, now I did this mid-level company size. I actually like that, but I don't do like this project agency work because it's just super stressful. You kind of have always a bit of headbutting with customers because they think you want to oversell them, even though maybe you don't. So it's not really, it's like more of an antagonistic relationship than like a co collaboration relationship. So I was, hey, let's do product work. <laughs> product work is like more aligned. Everybody's aligned and wants to deliver the best possible thing. And that is then where I landed my first senior job. And up until that point, I was kind of concerned because like I did all kinds of things. Right? Like Java, I did iOS, I did embedded, I did web development, I did front-end development, and I did all these different things. I was like, how does it, how, how does it look on my CV, right? Like, am I actually ever going to end up getting that senior title because my, my skills are kind of all over the place. But it actually turns out that was a boon um, because now, for example, this case, for example, I um, we had like a, we wanted, we were looking for full stack people and that company was also using Elixir. So we were like, hey, you did mobile development, you did front end development, you did that. And it's like, it's good that you have this holistic perspective on things. And yeah, my specialization was backend, but it boils down to being this T-shaped engineer, right? This T-shaped developer, like having a double with a lot of different things. And that was also like one of the main reasons, like how I ended up at my current employer, which is basically then after that, where we actually have a mobile app we're building. And well, I, I know what it's like to build a mobile app, right? And it's actually beneficial from a backend and developer perspective to know the daily struggles of a mobile developer, to know what it means when you have to work with a device where the stable internet connection is not guaranteed. And so, yeah, that is basically why I say the most traditional because it boils down to me getting that senior title by switching employers every two years. That was never a plan from the get-go. It's just how it ended up happening. I hope that now I kind of am in a place where I can stay a bit longer. I'm kind of tired of switching over time uh, because like, then I feel like after two years, you really have settled into like okay this is your worth for the company like you know what you're doing you you really start to feel familiar with everything it's just for me personally that always like a different either the environment changed in a way i didn't like or a different opportunity came around the corner which i just was too good to pass up yeah so this is my my my, my path to seniority which then boils down to always staying curious and trying out different things and not being afraid to take a take a jump into the unknown, you know, and it always was of help for me personally that I'm just inherently a very curious person, and I always I'm, I'm never stop when I don't understand something, but but that's just like how my brain is wired. Like if somebody tells me that this is just the way it works, I'm always like, yeah, but why? 
tell me why. I need to understand why. And I think this is also, like, I mean, you don't have, need to have the quality to get the senior title, but it's very beneficial <laughs> as a software developer in general. Because that was also something like in the beginning, like you have, I don't know, like you, you work in a, in a project and there's this framework and you think, oh, this thing is magic, right? Like, how does this thing work? Like, it does all these different things. I said, I could never write something like that. But if you then, at some point, take, figure out, okay, this is how you work with it, but how does it actually work? Most of the stuff out there, most of the libraries out there, they're not magic. It's just written by average people, you, like you and me, right? Like it, it, under the hood, it's still code, which does things. And I guess at some point, each of us could have come up with those topics if they work long enough in that environment. Um, it's not magic. It's not magic sauce. Totally agree. That is, this, it helps to arrive like it helps with this curiosity mindset to arrive at that conclusion earlier than that, rather than later. Because I've also met software developers which were like, I don't know, I get a ticket, I wrap my code, I don't care, right? Like I, I, I'm done. I'm I'm here for eight hours. I'm a warm body, <laughs> and I leave. And that is fine. That is fine. That is a way to do this job, but it's not a way where you, where you will excel at that job. Yeah. But not everybody needs to excel, right? I mean, coming back to that example of earlier, like if you're in a big place like Volkswagen, some at some point in the, in the scale of like in a company of that scale, somebody needs to write some boring code. Yeah, totally. I, that, there's so much to unpack there. Yeah, totally agree with the last part where there are like senior engineers too who like just like do their job every day and like you know do the boring. I guess, like grind, right? And they're senior probably because of the value they add to the company in terms of context they hold of the code, right? Because it will take them probably lesser time to do some work in that code than a new engineer who is not familiar with the code, right? So they're senior because of the value they add, but if they decide to leave the company, they might not come across as a senior engineer because, again, they haven't put work into growing and building that curiosity, feeling that curiosity that you were talking about. And and as a perfect segue to a very shameless pitch I'm going to make, I do agree, curiosity and wanting to know how things work under the hood, there's a correlation of that to seniority, which is why there's a book coming out that teaches you how to build Phoenix from scratch. And I'm writing that book. It's going to come out in a couple of months. So if you're curious, if you want to take that path of that kind of like an extreme curiosity, right? How to build plugs, how to the plugs mod, the plug library itself, how to build a web server from scratch just using TCP connection, right? This book talks you through that and eventually wrap that into like a nice meta programming interface. But I'll leave a link to that in the, the show notes. But I totally, again, totally agree with Sasha. That's, that's actually the, also the, the preface of the book, right? To cross that bridge to seniority, curiosity and like demystifying all this magic is like a, in my eyes, like almost a necessary phase to kind of be senior, like a true senior. When true senior is someone who'd be senior, at most places they would go, not because of the context, but the tenure that they have in a company. Yeah, I'm always a bit careful with words like too senior, but because that feels very gatekeepy. <laughs> but maybe you could say not only a senior by title. Right, right. And, and, so, I mean, it is actually gatekeeping for me. Like we, when I hire engineers, this is something I really look forward, like look for. You know, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, the curiosity element and wanting to know how things work is it's it's life gets so much easier if you are managing or mentoring an engineer who has that curiosity and what's the word capacity really, you know, to take in that knowledge because it's, some people just don't have the capacity like to like dig into something. Right. And it just, it just gets a lot. It's very easy to mentor an engineer into an amazing senior engineer. I've seen, I have mentored a bunch of those engineers. I've seen them flourish and better engineers than me. You know? And I saw that when, when I hired them, this, this person will be better than me. You know, if, if mentored properly and they ended up being better engineer than me, right? So I always I always try to hire engineers in that category. 
And another thing for me, and you mentioned Sasha about this too, and it's like a good transition to the code aspect. I, I do think it's very important that someone codes well too, and I think about it, at least when I hire someone. And I, I do like to do a live coding interview. And I think, again, the value, especially for a startup, right? Like a startup who has like, you know, less than 10 engineering team. If you hire an engineer who codes more, you're naturally, like, you know, they have coded so much that, you know, it's not a chore for them to like, oh, how should I do this? Like just simple, who can do simple tasks without really thinking much, you know, like as, as a reflex action, right? Have, have coded enough that they naturally put code that doesn't necessarily need refactoring, right? Like all that, it, it makes a huge difference when you have like four people who code like that and you add a person who can't code like that, right? Like it, it just changes the dynamics completely. So it is that one that one bad apple situation. So I, I do gatekeep in that aspect as well. Like I, and if I'm hiring someone, that person needs to be able to code, think in code, you know? So like as they write code, they're not they're naturally able to write code because they've written enough code in their life that they can churn out code for simple solutions pretty easily. So, uh, and, and that that's great because in a less productive day, a less productive day, which all engineers have, you know, it's like a, they have high productivity, less productivity days. The less productivity days too, they'll they'll churn out code for less co- less complex solutions. Like ah, okay, no big deal. Just another API call, just another test. Like I really like people who can code as if they are talking or thinking. You know, it just comes naturally to them, and it's, it's just another means of communication. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I just think and maybe that is where I guess you could um, say that that, that, that it depends, right? Okay. That's the beginning. Um, in, in a startup environment for like a small team, you really want to like have everybody pull their weight in that context. But if you're, for example, like in a, in a legacy maintenance situation, right? Yeah. You have this system. It needs to keep, it's running. It's finished. It just needs to be keep, keep running. It needs right. to be maintained. It needs to be updated. It's like it's just a completely different skill set yeah. where the ability to write new code from scratch is just not as important. And then again, that is also fine, right? Yeah. Like there are people who potentially, who very much excel at that and very much, it's, it's an area where I probably don't excel that much since I never had yet to work in a scenario such as that for a longer period of time. So yeah, it depends. But yeah, I agree that like in a small team, it's, it's very valuable to have a, a group of experienced people who like know what they're doing. Right. And, <laughs> um, and, and don't get intimidated by code, you know? That's another thing. Like some people yeah, get intimidated, intimidated by it makes code. Sense. Yeah, So that, that's another thing I look for. And uh, again, just to, uh, for our listeners, like who want to kind of place themselves in that category, like I clearly remember when I was in that category and when I wasn't, like the inflection point that took me. And that was reading through Bruce Tate's Seven Languages in Seven Weeks book. Actually, that Seven Languages in Three Days, I finished that book in three days. But just coding through the exercises and fo- actually making sure to do follow-up exercises of that book to improve on the code that's in the book, 
that's such a great way to just like change how you approach coding, change how you approach solving a problem. Instead of like, instead of thinking of, you know, the, the mental scale of a problem, a problem that had a, men, a mentally for me was at a scale of like a day. After doing that, it shrunk to an hour, you know? Oh, this should take me an hour, not a day, you know? Like that inflection point came after in that book. So another book, Seven Languages in Seven Weeks, try to, try to finish that quickly. But that worked really well for me and one of my mentees as well. But it really helps to be at a place where code comes naturally to you, especially in interviews, because trust me, it a lot of times it blows people away when you are literally coding while talking, you know, and they're like, wait, how is this happening? Right. And all it just took, all it took was a few days of hardcore coding, right. To reach, reach that point. So if, if uh, any of our listeners want to be in that place, it's hard work, but only for, you know, a week or two. And I think once you, it, once you find a rhythm that works for you. It's not that much hard work after that. I'm not sure I would agree with that, to be honest, because I, I think it might be the case of, it might have been the case for you, yeah. Adi, but I mean, I would expect that you already had some experience at that point. So I think it was very junior at that point. I had less than a year of experience. And yeah, I, I think I did have a lot of interest and passion, I guess, right? That That is something yeah. I, I had. But I mean, another thing is I kind of wanted to code like that always. I wanted to code. Uh, I saw a professor of mine in my first year who kind of fell in this category. Like when I went, whenever you'd seen code, everyone would like just like in awe, you know, like how is he just like coding as if he has a mental compiler, you know, because he doesn't need to run the code to make sure it's working. He just knows what to write. And I guess I, I set my set, set that goal for myself a while ago. Maybe that's what helped. But I have seen that happen to one of my mentees too. Like he also read through the same book and in, in, in a week and he kind of had an inflection point over the course of reading that book and doing all the exercises as well. So it's not just one data point, it's two data points. I don't know much, but two is better than one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can relate in the context of that. I feel that, like, for me personally, as a software developer, I grew very much by ha having to switch paradigms. So, like, when I, when I switched from the classic object-oriented programming to functional programming, and to be honest, I think it would probably be, would have been the same would have been true if I switched from functional to object-oriented, because it just challenges a lot of biases you might have had at that point. Yeah. Like, okay, like, like a lot of ideas how you can solve certain problems because that's like the tools you know and now suddenly you have this completely different thing which works completely different and your brain is like, wait, what? <laughs> but how? How can I solve a problem like that? And it, it, I feel like at that point, your brain kind of is forced to have find a more generalistic approach to problems. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's, that's kind of hidden in what I was saying. The seven programs in seven weeks has an object language, language, language Ruby but it also has a pure functional language, Haskell, right? So maybe maybe that was part of that, doing that book. But uh, yeah, I, I do agree. Paradigm Changing paradigms is one of the best way to train your mind as an engineer. I, I remember I did Prologue. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like just doing like the logic-oriented programming was just so foreign at that time. But yeah, it, it, it evolved. It, it kind of evolves you as an engineer, for sure. I totally agree. Yeah. And I think, I mean, now we have a bit spoken a lot about writing code. I think one skill, which in my opinion is even more important than writing good code is being able to read and navigate code. Because, I mean, 
yeah, if you are in a startup situation, you have to build a system from scratch, then writing code might be a little bit more important. But let's be honest, how often is that the case in day-to-day -day work? Most yeah. of the time, not. Reading is Most definitely more time, important. I, even in a startup yeah. environment, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Most of the time, you actually need to work with an existing code base. You need to make modifications to that. You need, probably will have to work with code you have never seen in your life before. And you need to figure out where the problem is, if it's a case of a bug, or also where some part of the logic lives you might want to change and how you change it. So I think that is also why I've, I've, I've used to also do live coding exercises for like, okay, let's build something like that. But I'm kind of coming around on, on that way I say, I still think that coding is like something you probably should do in the context of an interview because at the end of the day, I don't see a better tool to figure out, okay, is somebody actually capable of doing it? But I'm coming around and saying like it doesn't necessarily have to be live coding because some people might just be not, might not be good in the live context, right? They're not very good if like somebody they don't know looking over their shoulder. But I... In my, my perfect world scenario, my perfect interview scenario, I would say, hey, we have this existing project. It's maybe pre well prepared ahead of time. It's a small project, which I don't know, provides an API in the context of a backend developer, right? And there's a backend there right? where, you, where there's like, oh, maybe a feature, like a thing you need to build in there. You need to change a feature. And then I would ask people to set up a pull request, like actually go through the motions of what you do day to day and navigate this unfamiliar code base and see what they do. I would potentially hide maybe one or two bugs in there on purpose, maybe some bad variable naming, all those kind of things. Because like in a very senior developer, I would expect, okay, they might, might, might catch one of the bugs. They might do some refactoring along the way. They might add some missing tests, right? They, they might all do all of these little things which help you maintain the health of a project in the long run. And also I would expect like from a senior developer, I would expect that they challenge potentially what exactly the requirements were. Yeah. Like in that interview context, I would actually give some requirements to them, which are in some places deliberately vague because that is like most of the time you don't get a perfect ticket. You get a ticket, which is in some places vague. And then you have to ask questions. You have to figure out what it actually means. And that is then like, yeah, you can practice your coding skills day in and day out. And that is something I wanted to get at. You can do, I don't know, like some lead skills challenges. You can do exorcism a lot, which I think is actually if you want to get better at, at coding in general and like at, at uh, understanding a problem and like how tests can be written, how you can write testable code, how to learn some best practices. Then exorcism is actually a very good platform because you have people mentoring you. And like, especially if you engage with the mentors and like refactor your code, that's like potentially something where you can really learn these best practices very well. But that only covers part of the job, like on one one area of the job. And like this is what it for me means to have somebody who is like a senior software developer is I, I know let, let me let me start that talk about that differently. Basically, so if I have like an early career developer and a junior developer, I would say I give you a well-defined task, I give you a well-defined um, problem, and I'm point you where you need to put where you need to where you need to go to solve this, right? Like for example, hey, this is a bug. This is the code base. It's probably over there. Figure it out, right? But this is like a very small, very small defined problem. Like a mid-level developer, I would expect, okay, we have this feature we want to build, right? This is a well-defined area already. This is the thing we want to build. This is like potentially inside of the app, inside of the screen. It should change to be like this. But now go figure out what exactly you do in the best way, how you can do that. And for a senior, I would say, hey, we have this problem. How do we solve this problem? And I would not necessarily, like, for really about a senior developer, I would not expect to have any kind of solution at that point. Yeah, you might have 
you might think this could be a good idea, but maybe there's a different solution about this, right? I want to be able for like a, somebody who is really senior, I want to be able to give you give them a problem and they come with a solution. And then if you think about it that way, coding is only part of the like part of a tool set. And yeah, you need to be very fluent in coding to actually pull that off, but it's just like it's it's a foundation to what to build um your 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 skills as a senior developer. I would actually be curious why what, what do you think about that? How <laughs> like what I just made. Do you think it makes sense? Totally makes sense, yeah. And I'm gonna give you this you know answer and it depends, right? Yeah, uh, how much of that is true depends really on your definition of senior, what phase a company is at, but overall the heart of it I it makes a lot of sense, I agree. Yeah, and I mean, I wouldn't say that like a senior then has to come up with designs or anything. They might still collaborate with somebody from from who's more in the design area, but they would like a senior developer would be really be responsible of figuring out. Okay, we have this problem. This might be a possible solution to it, but like we can delegate it. Right. right? Like this is like I don't need to think about uh, the nitty gritty details of that anymore. I can trust somebody to deal with it. And then when you look at that, there's a like, coding in there, yeah, but there's also people skills in there. There's also like general problem solving skills in there. And there's, um, I think, a very strong ability of a senior is also to decide when not to code. Because um, there's a very great quote from Marco Heimsoff where he says, like, code is expensive to write, to maintain, and to... Something to else run. I forgot. To run, yeah. Um, and to educate, to educate. Code is expensive to write, to maintain, and to educate. So if you have less, if you can solve this problem with less code, you're better off. Yeah. <laughs> so, and exactly those kinds of thoughts and those kind of considerations are something which for me, like where you would say, okay, this is like a senior developer, this is an excellent senior developer, right? This is really where where you can go beyond and then at some point also go beyond the senior title, like where you go, okay, now now I'm going to go into a leadership position. Now, right. now maybe you're going to go into a principal area um, where to potentially to make a kind of the, the um, connection to some past episode, like what we talked about last week in the DDD episode, right? Like, like all the strategic work. And that has been something like I've learned along the way in like this, in a small scale environment of six company of six people, because yeah, I by necessity had to do some of that work. And then also, inside of like a, the agency or like getting working with the customers and then I looked into what what's domain of design like what, what are the ideas there like what, what does it mean to speak the language of stakeholders all those kind of things right. yeah yeah monologue and <laughs> <laughs> well I, I think just to add to one more thing right yeah he, he said so many things that are outside of coding that make a senior engineer I think one more thing probably lower in the priorities someone who can be like a multiplier someone who yeah who's addition to the team by either changing processes, by either inflicting, inducing positivity and inducing. There's some people this induce passion and other people like yeah. quote more and you know like change single-handedly can positively influence the entire culture. And like, you know, maybe post series A, like big big enough companies it it, it would it could have a huge difference. I yeah, I, I know one engineer uh, who might not be the fastest in coding, but very good at like designing and architecture and like but I think his contribution is like the, the he is he's, i'll just give his name his name is jeffrey matthias he's the author of testing elixir but he he was community and i think he is probably the biggest reason why a lot of engineers work there or continue to work there right he single-handedly creates a positive work environment for everyone or most engineers and also keeps that one relationship with them to help them improve and grow right i think that's huge doing that in itself even he's a he's a very good coder he might not be the fastest and he is a very good he's a very good set of architecture 
But even without all that, the value he adds just by being that person, that glue is, you know, principal engineer worthy value. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, I mean, I, that, was, that was something I said before we pressed record, but I feel our industry and especially like the social media space around it is very much into this hustle, hustle, hustle mentality, right? And that, oh, you have to be a 10x engineer, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and I don't buy into a lot of these topics, but I do think that sometimes you have people which are close to that 10x engineer, not because they write code right. so well, but because they enable other people to run faster. Yeah. And um, like if you just, I mean, just imagine if you have like a, a software developer who maybe is average in code writing, right? But they're very good at like actually co coaching and mentoring and like helping people find the answers. Right. And then they kept this, this people mentoring maybe three juniors and they, one of, like, an average, maybe a junior might need three days to solve a bug, but with support from them, like maybe even half an hour, one hour, yeah. you cut that down to half a day, boom. That's a 10 right? engineer right That's, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a 10x engineer right there. And that is really where I said in the beginning, it depends. Like in, the, in a, some environments, in some contexts, like I don't know if you work in like aeros aerospace engineering and like you have write software for the NASA probe, then yeah, other skills are important. Right. And if you're like in a big team where you have a lot of early career engineers, you need to mentor those. Um, all, all, all of the different skills are potentially important. And I, at this point in my career, I don't describe myself as like, I don't know, a senior developer. I often just say I solve problems. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my weapon of choice is technology, but at the end of the day, I solve problems. Yeah. And, uh, I think a good example of that is like, I, I, I talked last week about this DDD workshop we did, right? And one outcome of this is, for example, now that in the leadership round of a company, we actually talking about, okay, do we need to do some organizational changes because of the things we learned? Because we see some misalignment between the things we would like to do and the things the organization is currently structured around that and well how did that came to be it came to it was born from we want to have uh, we want to change our current software architecture because it's not really aligned with how you think about the business but we first need to really learn how the business works and right. how we as a company think about the business and i already suspected that we might get to hey maybe our organizational structure is right. but you can't go in there to go to the ceo and think like hey the organization structure sucks sucks right but you can go there and say Hey, to actually build good software, we need to figure out how the organization works. So let's do a workshop. It's, about it's, that. It's, it's, not, it's not. It's not like there's like a law by yeah. a guy that talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, and like, there's a very excellent book which is called Team Topologies, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically about that. It's like take Conway's law. Yeah. And like for everybody who doesn't know Conway's law, it's basically <laughs> any any organization which designs a system in a broad sense, which software is a system, is what is the exact wording there? It's doomed, it's doomed, doomed to like uh, produce a copy of the right. communication structure. I think it's opposite. Organization. I think it's opposite. The organization no, no, takes no. the structure of the domains and the software naturally. No, 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 the other way around. It's actually like, if you, any. Wait, I'm, I'm going to look it up. Okay. I'm going to look <laughs> Me it too. Up. <laughs> uh, me too. I, I, I know it goes both ways, but let's see. There's the reverse Conway maneuver, which actually takes that into consideration. Oh, I think you're right. Any, you're right. Organizations, any, any, you're right. Organizations design systems that mirror okay. their own communication structure. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I, I have it now. Any organization that designs a system defined broadly will produce a design whose structure is a copy of an organization's communication structure. And that is true. That is just true. It's insanely true. <laughs> like if you have, I don't know, there's also like a very good rephrasing of that. If you have four groups working on a compiler, you get a four-pass compiler. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have five groups working on a compiler, you get a five-pass compiler. And that is just true because like that's the way we humans, are, our brains are wired. But it hints towards a significant truth is you can't design 
software in a vacuum. You can't right. ignore communication structures. You can't ignore people. Right. It does not work <laughs> because software is written by people for people. Yeah. How the fuck can you remove people from that equation? It doesn't make sense. Right, right. <laughs> and I think that is like the core, uh, one of the core things as a software developer. If, like really, if you really grok that and like really work towards make, making improvements in that area, like in a holistic perspective, then there's nothing stopping you from becoming an excellent senior end developer, yeah. in my opinion. I agree. So, yeah. <laughs> you can easily add yeah, a like full DDD episode into this too. Uh, this, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I agree that there's, there's so much, there's so much to it. And like I said, there's an excellent book, for example, it's called Team, Team Topologies, mm. which is basically about taking this idea of Conway and like, okay, well, what does that mean? Like, how can you then structure organizations to actually deliver the kind of software you want to build? Because this is this is a nice side effect of it. If, if you accept that this is true, you can say, okay, so now how do we need to build our setup, our teams to get the architecture we want to get, to get like the system we want to get and to get fast flow where we want to get it. And yeah, this then leaves the realm of senior developer responsibilities. But that is something that I've always done in my career. Like I always, when I came to a point of, okay, this is like my responsibility bubble, I always look beyond. I always like, okay, like what does it mean? Like, okay, I see some issues and I see some people talk about this Conway's law thing. Like, what does that mean? Like, let me look it up. And while I was never in a position in that particular moment to actually impact the organizational structure, it made, it gave me context. It gave me understanding about why things were, were the way they are, which then boils down to, again, like I wanted to figure out why things are the way they are. And it always enabled me then to go the next step in my career, right? Like, because I, I already digged into some of these topics and that helped me to, to go further and now i mean uh, i i basically since the beginning of, of this month i've been i'm the technical team lead at my at my current employer because i bring like a lot of these skills we're talking about that nice. actually help me get snatched that title yeah. right and now like like i said we, we have this discussion like in the team lead in the lead circle okay well, do we need to do organizational changes <sighs> This design never stops, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> System yeah. design. Yeah. yeah, in fact, it's funny you mentioned it. We were just talking about how, and this is like the, the reverse Conway, right? Like how yeah. the us defining a domain in our software, which, uh, again, without getting too much into this, after, you know, patient pays for our service and like starting creating that as an entire domain will inevitably create its own engineering team, right? Because the domain is yeah. completely different. So uh, we just had a conversation today. Yeah, you're right. Like those kind of conversations are also being part of being like a senior, senior, yeah, a seniority. It comes with seniority. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that to, maybe to calm some nerves of her, you don't have to do all of that. But it really helps because by the nature of these topics, you will touch on a lot of subjects which are then very relevant to your day-to-day work. Yeah. Um, but maybe to, 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 to go back to something we said earlier, because I mean, like I said, I said, like, it helps you to figure out why things are the way they are. And that is also like in the small scale. And again, but, like, we talked about, hey, figure out why, like, but, but for example, Phoenix is not magic, but also OTP is not magic, right? right? And it, it's the same. Like you understand how the system as a whole, actually why, why it works the way it does, right? And you don't just use processes and Elixir, you, you understand how they work. And that enables Able to do other things, yeah. and there's also a book on that, and um, which I think has not aged that well because uh, it's been quite old and been updated a lot. Uh, but it's uh, the, the little elixir and OTP guide. Well, I think it's a great book. Still, yeah, it's a great book. I'm not sure how um, like it's, uh, it's. I think it's Elixir 1.3 or something. So like you have to navigate it a bit carefully in that context. But it's what it basically does. It makes you rebuild some of the primitives of OTP, like a supervisor and, right. and a gen server and all those kind of things. And that really and 
enables you to like figure out, okay, how do you want to design systems uh, and stable systems inside of OTP and why are things the way they are? Yeah. So yeah, I feel like we've kind of given a complete, um, maybe to come back to one subject of the very beginning side projects. I mean, like, especially for example, getting fluent with code, side projects are a great way to go about it, mm -hmm. but you don't have to, like, uh, I'm, I'm, li I'm living proof of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a good way of like getting more experience and less, year, less years of experience, yeah. right? Like, uh, and also getting opportunities to solve problems that you would not otherwise have work, especially yeah. if you work in like a big organization, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of, you know, red tape, I guess, you know, uh, then the, it, it, side projects give you opportunities to explore, you know, topics, like think about domain learning design, I don't know, like explore things that you would yeah. probably never get an opportunity yeah. at work. I was always in a, in a very, like, to be honest, privileged position to never, never have to work on boring stuff. <laughs> like it was always challenging and one way or another right now my, my, my job right now is not be, it's challenging because we solve super hard technical problems but well we i have to now solve organizational problems right. <laughs> so it, it never has been boring so i never had the inherent desire to say okay i want to have more even more challenges outside of my but i always like what i like to do occasionally is been like I've, I've i've done a fair bit of like advent of coding and i did it in haskell just to tickle my brain in, in ways work cannot and i also did the, the pure script track on elix uh, on, on, on exorcism like i didn't completed right but i did that so that's to like look beyond the, the my immediate yeah. um, horizon so yeah you can do side projects you don't have to do side projects it's maybe your uh, place of work also gives you some some time to grow as an as a developer right some some innovation time or whatever you might want to call it some 20 percent time that can be an excellent source of side projects that's that's where most of my open source work comes from i've worked at places where you we could invest some of our time into work-related topics, but not directly. Like, they didn't have to contribute towards solving a concrete problem at work, but they still had to be related to my day-to-day work. So I couldn't do, do yoga at that time, but I was perfectly fine to write an open-source library and to scratch, like, a personal itch of mine at work. For example, that's where Knigge was born, which was the, which the main reason I'm on this, on this band podcast. Because <laughs> 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 why I was invited in the beginning. So, yeah, side projects can take many forms. They don't have to be from your free time. As I mentioned in the past, I have two kids. I'm married. I don't have a lot of time on my hands. Okay? <laughs> and while, I, while there are a gazillion things I would like to build, I still have like this idea about like some application to help organize gaming events with friends. <laughs> It's just not high enough on my list of priorities to end up on my schedule. Makes sense. Okay. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Then I guess we can transition to picks. Yes. Yeah, so Do you have any picks for us? Yeah, not not really. I mean, the two books that I mentioned. Okay, check out my book if you want to learn how Phoenix was built, and definitely check out Seven Languages in Seven Weeks by Bruce Tate. It actually covers. It has Haskell and Prolog, two of the most amazing paradigms I've worked with. If you guys want to want to challenge yourself with the paradigms, Prolog and Haskell are great, and this book has them. Yeah, I think I think. Uh, oh, well, one more thing. I guess it's not really really a pick. Maybe it's very small point like the one thing uh, as you learn and as you start to contribute and take initiatives you know to show that you are gaining in seniority just be careful of just Dunning-Kruger's effect right like that's something you don't want to make a fool out of yourself just make sure you know what you're talking about and uh, I know most people engineers don't have that 
but it's something I, I had an affinity towards and I've kind of made a fool of myself early on a couple of times in, in my career. So it didn't even affect it's like when you know, when you think you know a lot more than you actually do. And it's happened to me a couple of times. So it's it could be embarrassing and it could be also hard to mm-hmm. erase that impression once you've already, already made that on someone. So just a side pick. Also, video games, right? I forgot that we do video games now. Man, I was going to pick, yeah, I think I picked Stray already. I think I already picked Stray. Yeah, I think all my games have been picked. Well, yeah, if you guys are not aware, the next God of War is coming out in a couple months. So, yeah, just pre-order it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> Uh, don't pre-order pre-ordering is evil <laughs> no pre-ordering is good that's how they, that's how no. en- that's how engineers get paid more based on the pre-orders that's how the these gaming companies determine success and that's how game engineers salaries it, it significantly influences gaming engineers to salaries and post release sales if you do pre-orders that's something i learned recently so but it also encourages to deliver a shitty product because i mean if you already made bank hey why don't make why make a great product i'm not gonna say this is the case for the god of war but generally companies pre-orders generally companies pre-order and even early post-orders for the next game not the current game they already have money allocated for patches and stuff generally that's how it works unless you're like a very new studio but anyway i think you should pre-order god of war slash i think you should but if, uh, if you guys have played the first god of war i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure you'll I'm pretty much in the camp of patient gamer. I always pretend that the game gets released two years later. And then I have like a full picture about how good is this game? Is the deals, other DLCs worth it? And oh, it's only 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, only if I could fight just the addictive uh, feeling of that instant gratification, right? But, you know, uh, uh, if, if I was mature enough to fight that, I, w- I, I would fall in the category, but I want it as soon as it's out, so. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I get it, but for my wallet, it's been very good. <laughs> I have a bunch of picks and I would like to repick some things I picked in the past already. So I would first of all, one repick is specification by example. And it's an excellent book. And but it's basically it's a book about doing a case study on different projects and different companies doing different things. Um the author extracted some do's and don'ts from 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 these different projects. And maybe maybe not that surprisingly, there it has a lot of overlap with some of the ideas to make from domain-driven design, even though it's it's not a domain-driven design book, not at all. Like there's never a single mention of the word domain-driven design in the book. But there's close collaboration with stakeholders, with experts, and so on and so forth. And it is definitely something if like if you really want to like get closer to that seniority title, that senior title, it's a very worth your read because it um, it's very interesting to see like how projects succeed and don't succeed. There's also a very cool, I think it's from this book. I'm not I'm, sometimes I mix mix some books up, but I think in that book there's like an example of like how the F-16, like the fighter fight jet, fighter jet was built. And originally in the specifications, it said, hey, we want to have a jet which can get muck, whatever, I don't know six seven whatever like get this high speed and at that point in time it was kind of difficult to pull that off um and then like the, the company who took that contract they've asked why, why 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 do you want that and it turns out the reason was that it needs to escape from combat if things go sour so what they ended up building was not a jet which could get that speed but it was super maneuverable so it could just outmaneuver the opponent and get out of combat that way and the f-16 as far as i know is still in service today even though it's quite old because it's well it has actually taken the the underlying problem and found a different solution to that and it's very very worth your read even 
uh, this is a software development book, but it's, it takes examples from all kinds of industries and, and how you actually want to solve problems and find solutions. So specification by example, and it has, it's been written by Goiku Adjic, right? Great author, great author in general. I guess it uh, has some very wise things coming from this, this person. Okay. Another pick. I would like to do, and I've already hinted at it earlier, is Exorcism, Exorcism, which is a great platform if you actually want to, well, maybe dabble in other languages, want to learn some best practices. Um, it's a, like a, it's an page where you can do code exercises, but you also have people volunteering their free time to mentor. So like you can submit solutions and then you can get somebody to mentor, to give feedback on the solution, kind of like of a code review. And it's really helpful in like, getting an idea about some of the best practices in the language, like how you might want to solve, how, how you how you should approach solving problems in some languages. And if you are in your state um, and in your state of your career where writing code fluently is still not something which comes naturally to you, then that is not the worst place to go to, to be honest. And then last but not least, I'm now going to do a shameless self-pick. Uh, because we talked about okay, what is um, what is something like coding and reading code and all that kind of coding topics are just something which is helpful in getting the senior title, but not exclusively. There's much more to being a great software developer. And a few years back, I actually gave a talk which was titled "You Know Nothing, or Do You?" And that was at the height of the Jon Snow craze and, and, and this is the Game of Thrones craze. So it's like it has some Game of Thrones references in it. But what it boils down to is talking about okay we are software developers we like to define ourselves by our skills by our abilities to write javascript to write elixir to do react well to be build great apis but there is more to each person than just these technical skills and there's more to you to each person bringing experience in from all kinds of areas uh, i for example in the talk i give an example of i'm very um calm in like stressful situations and like try to reflect on what I do wrong. And actually, that's a skill I attained by playing a lot of League of Legends. <laughs> because doing a lot of solo queue gaming, where the only person I can reasonably influence is myself. So yeah, that is the kind of the, the, what, what, what this whole talk hints at. It's like, yeah, you, maybe some people think, ah, I don't know nothing. How can I ever be a great software developer? But there's probably more skills you're not even aware of you bring to the table than just your ability to write JavaScript. So yeah, I'm going to pick that talk. Okay, those are my free picks. So it was a pleasure as always, Adi. And, and I hope you also enjoyed the episode, folks. And tune in next time when we have another episode of Elixir Mix. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.